I don't know about you, but I need help. I need help all the time. And the older I get, the realize I need help around me 24-7. We need each other. We need help. And uh, in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, we're going to see God's providential help to the Apostle Paul. Now, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest uh, hero next to Jesus in the New Testament. I mean, this guy's incredible. He's a bulldog. He goes from town to town. They beat him up. They knock him down. They throw him out. He gets up and he comes back again. But you know what? Even a man like that needs help. He needs help. He needs encouragement. He's got his young men with him, Titus, Timothy, although at this point he had them stay back in Macedonia, so he's traveling on. Imagine he's a little bit lonely. And so we're picking up in, in uh, chapter 18 of the book of Acts, and Paul is finding help. How many of you had, let's, let's start in elementary or high school, did any of you have a teacher or somebody that came along and was a blessing to you? Anybody? Yeah? I don't think that was any mistake. I remember my sixth grade teacher. Uh, I, I remember... You know, some teachers, some of them just had a, they seem to have a, an interest in you, a godly, a good interest in you. There's a, maybe a football coach or a, a, a little league person or a mom in the uh, group you were in. I don't know, but God sends people our way. And throughout our lives that happens and it continues to happen and we need to keep our eyes open to it. Paul had left Athens. If you'll remember that when he was in Athens, he, he spoke brilliantly to the philosophers uh, of that time. And he had an audience with the intelligentsia of Greece speaking to them about Christ. And the minute he mentioned the resurrection, they shut him down and kicked him out. But we saw many people get saved. Now he's moving on to a city called Corinth. You know Corinth. We know the first and second book of Corinthians. And that church in Corinth, Corinth, if Athens was the epitome of the intellectual, Corinth was the epitome of the, uh, how did, the perverse. It was a sexually perverse city. It was rampant in sexual perversion. And uh, it wasn't known for its intellect. It was known for its sexual escapades and perversions. And Paul ends up in Corinth. He found he was looking for work. At this point, he needed to recoup some of the money they had been spending on these trips. You know, they're not free. He's trying to go town to town. He's finding people to stay with, churches to help. He's got to find food. He's got to find room and boarding. He gets to Corinth, and he needs a place to stay. So he decides that he's going to pick up some work. Paul, by trade, every Jew is to learn a trade. Even as Paul went into rabbinical school and studied to be a rabbi, he still needed to have a trade because many times rabbis would not get paid for teaching and instructing, so they still needed an occupation. Paul's was tent making. 
He knew how to make tents. And we're not talking about pup tents. All right, in the Middle East, when they made tents, man, these, these things were pretty uh, high-class, nice tents. And uh, so he understood how to sew tents, how to make tents. And he finds this guy named Aquila. And he had a wife named Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla were a husband and wife team that were kicked out of Rome because there was a problem going on in Rome with the Jewish population that was uh, causing riots between Christians and Rome, Romans and Jews. If someone could turn that off, that would be awesome. <laughs> Just shut it down. Um, and so Claudius expelled all the Jews he could out of Rome. And so Aquila and Priscilla uh, have to pick up everything they have. They go to the city of Corinth and they try to find some work. They open up a small shop and guess what they do? They're tent makers. So Paul's looking around and he runs across this husband and wife team. They got a storefront. They're making tents. He says, hey, could I get a job from you guys? They say, yeah, come on in. So they start working and they start making tents together. And uh, it says that uh, he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews. And uh, about Jesus Christ. Now, what happens is, day to day, he's working with Aquila and Priscilla in the tent-making shop. On the weekends, he's going and preaching in the marketplace. On Saturday, to the synagogues. On Sunday, he's out in the, the marketplace, and he's preaching and teaching. And so Aquila and Priscilla are believers, and they come to begin to grow under Paul's tutelage. I mean, wouldn't you? You're literally sitting there sewing all day, and gee, what do you want to talk about? Wouldn't you love to be with somebody all day long just talking about the Lord while you're doing your work? Does anybody have an opportunity to study the Word while you're at work? Some of you do. Anybody listen to the Word of the Lord? I see Katrina back there. Anybody uh, have a chance while you're working maybe to put some earbuds in, listen to podcasts, listen to teachings or studies? Is anybody able to do that? Yeah. That was a big preparation for my life. I worked at General Motors. I'd been there for a number of years, and uh, I had the opportunity to move into a small studio, and uh, I took it because I would then have my own desk. I had the job I was supposed to do that day, and I could study all day. And so that's what I would do. I would just study the Word of God while I was working. And it provided a way for me to be able to transition into pastoring. God made a provision for me that way. Has God been working in anybody else's life with the Word and work? And Anybody here have a, a co-worker that maybe mentored you or helped you or you grew in the Lord? Anybody? Katrina is the only one here that is... <laughs> okay, there we go. We got a few. Are most of you isolated at work? Do you have to just like do your thing or... 
No? Okay, none of you work. All right. <laughs> you got all day to study the word. Who's got all day to study the word? Okay. You go to Starbucks and read? All right. Yeah, yeah. Probably the best way to disciple people is to sit down and have a conversation with somebody. We're always trying to do this hit and run thing. Right? <laughs> God's moving us in that way. The more often you have to talk with people. And this is what Paul needed. Paul needed somebody to talk with, somebody to be with. Day to day as he's working, he's getting charged up. Now, it's also ministering to Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, we see when we're introduced to Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila is the husband, Priscilla's the wife. And then um, later on in the book of Acts, what you're going to start seeing is a name shift. The shift of the order of the name. You begin to see that it's no longer Aquila and Priscilla, it is Priscilla and Aquila. So the wife obviously had a teaching gift and had an ability to lead and teach the Word of God. Uh, and Aquila, I, you know, had other gifting. But in, you're going to see that shift take place. Remember we saw Barnabas and Saul? And then what did we see in the book of Acts? It switched to Paul and Barnabas. Paul became more prominent just as the teaching gift comes. It's that way in life. Things in our lives, they shift and move and someone might become more prominent than you and you step back or do something else. That's what happened with Aquila and Priscilla. Now, they're going with him probably to the synagogues. They're getting intrigued. They're, they're listening more and more to him. And, and so he's not just a friend and a co-worker. All of a sudden, he has an influence on their lives. Has anybody here had an influence on somebody's life? This is Christianity. I, I wish that we would focus more on this instead of the televangelists and the revivalists and the, the preachers and the teachers that we're getting barraged with in media. True Christianity is what you and I do every day, is have a meal with someone, talk to someone at work, and influence someone for the gospel. This is the spread of Christianity. All right, truly this is pure Christianity. This is how the gospel is supposed to spread. We're supposed to influence people, begin to develop people, have relationship and share the gospel with them. Please do this. And that's what happened with Aquila and Priscilla. And it says in the book of Romans, chapter 16, verses 3 and 5, listen to how much uh, Aquila and Priscilla got involved in Paul's life. In Romans 16, 3-5, it says, Paul's writing from Rome uh, to, back to Corinth to Priscilla and, uh, and the churches there, and he says, Greet uh, Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He considered them fellow workers, okay? There's no hierarchy here. We're brothers and sisters. Uh, and he goes on, he says, Who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their, what? House. 
So Aquila and Priscilla open a tent-making shop, and just perhaps, just out of the blue, a guy named Paul comes along and says he's looking for work. He comes to start working with them in their tent shop. They didn't know who they had with them. Tilly begins sewing together, they're working the tents together, and he starts telling them about Jesus Messiah. They knew about Jesus Messiah, but not to the depth that he had understood. He begins breathing in the revelations of what God has shown him. They begin to learn and grow deeper and deeper. They follow him probably throughout the city. They become so entrenched with Paul's teaching, they begin to start a fellowship in their house. The church begins to meet at Aquila and Priscilla's house, and they become pastors to that community. They have such an influence that Paul says to the community in Rome, greet them, everybody in Rome knows them. Because they met a man that they hung out with, and their giftings began to grow. It also says that they stuck their necks out for him. Because remember, wherever Paul was, there was trouble. And they invested their lives in Paul. Let's go on. Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews about Jesus as Messiah. When they opposed and reviled him, nothing unusual there, he shook off his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I'm innocent from now on. I'm going to the Gentiles. All right. He's moving on. He left there and he went to a house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. He didn't move far. <laughs> believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Who do you think Paul used to help him baptize all these people? Priscilla and Aquila. So he brings, God is bringing partnership to Paul. But it says this now. This tells you where Paul's at. He just finishes baptizing. Many get believed. Still it's stirring up trouble. And in verse 9, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. What's that make him feel like? Depressed? Giving up? He tells him not to be afraid, so he must be. Okay, let's use the logic here. Don't be afraid. Why would Jesus tell someone, don't be afraid? Because they're afraid. So Paul's afraid. What's Paul afraid of? Getting beat up again. I mean, how many times are you going to get pelted with rocks? How many times? Do you think you ever get used to this? Whip, lashed, he was, he was whipped and beaten three times. That's a collection of, a hundred, what's 40 times three? 120 lashes on his back. The man must have had a back that was like a tortoise. It was all scarred up, scraped up. Probably had scars around his face and head for the bricks and the rocks that had been thrown on him. Tired of getting spit at and yelled at. I mean, we think this, well, he's anointed of God. And great miracles came from him. So when he walked, there was the shroud of glory that walked around him. No! He was yelled at, spat at, beat at, whipped, reviled. 
And he's just darn right sick of it. And he's afraid it's going to happen again because it just, they just attacked this other guy. What is it then? But go on speaking. What's that mean? Keep speaking the truth because of what? He feels like giving up, not speaking anymore. Keep on speaking. He says, for I'm with you. Why does God got to remind you that God's with you? Because it doesn't feel like he is. Can I get a witness here tonight? Okay, the hands went up really fast on that one. The Apostle Paul. If there's anything we're learning in the book of Acts is that these are real life people going through real life struggles. And it hurts. It hurts. Okay? So he fe- he's afraid. He feels like quitting on speaking. You know, I can just go on making tents. Make a good living. I get three meals a day. And nobody's beating me up. He feels like he's afraid. He feels like stop talking. Uh, Do not be silent. He'd rather be silent. And he feels like the Lord's not with him. But it would seem like his biggest fear is this. No one will attack you to harm you. Okay? How many of you need to be reassured that Jesus is with you? So basically what we're saying is Paul's in sin because he has a lack of faith. Now we're saying Paul is a guy that's doing the best he can for the gospel and every now and then you hit bottom. What happens when you hit bottom? Look up. You need a break. You need a rest. Somebody else say that? Oh, you need a break. And it's really important that you get a break. Now, most of us are saying, geez, you know, at this time, what do we need breaks from? We've been out of work for two years. COVID has kept us in our house and this and that. But you know what? How many people are under stress, mental stress and anxiety? We need a break from this craziness. And we need to know God's here with us. Again, we need people. We need each other. Do you think it was an accident when Paul is feeling like this that he, God sends a couple to him that nurture and hang out with him, give him work, give him a sense of making the finance, keeping him okay, getting some regular food? And it says, they, what's his testimony of them? They stuck their neck out for me. They protected him. Again, we need each other. Look at this. We've asked people to help with kids that may not have a Christmas. Look at what you guys are doing. Is this crazy or what? Look at this. Again, this is Christianity. Caring, loving, reaching out. And we all get burned out. People get tired. You need breaks. How many of you know who Mother Teresa is? Right? Mother Teresa's and those sisters of mercy that live that worked in India. Okay, now what their job was was to help anyone in the streets that were dying. 
They gave them their, their, a bed to sleep on, food. They cared for them any way they could until they died. They helped people just go off into eternity. The work is so laborsome and so intensive when you're working with that kind of work that Mother Teresa set up a system of 333. Every third day, the Sisters of Mercy, they were to rotate. Every third day, they were have to have a day off. Every third week, they were to have the week off. Every third month, they were to have a month off. Why? Rejuvenate. We need you for the long haul here. We don't need you to burn out. We don't need you to pour everything, 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 everything you've got till you burn out, crash, and burn. We're in this for the long haul. If you need a rest, get a rest. If you need a break, get a break. If you need somebody to help you, ask for help. Paul was at a place where he needed to hear from God. And, and maybe tonight in this time of worship that we've had or in this word, you're going to hear something from the Lord that is going to remind you, I'm here for you. And Paul needed to be reassured. Paul, I assure you, you're not going to beat up, get beat up this time. <laughs> he didn't make any promises about next time. But he said, right now, you don't, you're not going to get beat up. He says, don't be afraid. Come on, keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you. No one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now, what did God mean by that? Flush that out. Okay, brothers and sisters. He's not alone. Right, because if the city was filled with Christians already, what's Paul doing there? I think it's not only are there believers there, but I have many in this city that I have called that are yet to be saved. I need you to proclaim the gospel. Could you imagine if you and I had the attitude that there are saved, there are people out there yet to be saved, ripe for the picking, ready to be God's people. They just need someone to preach. They just need someone to say it. They just need someone to introduce Jesus to them. God's Spirit is waiting for us to proclaim the good news because there's people so hungry to be saved. What, if, what happened if, if you woke up in the morning and God said, okay, five people are waiting to hear the gospel today. Five people are going to get saved from you. Would that change your attitude? I mean, it's so ripe for the picking out here. And God's telling Paul, look at I have many in this city that are mine. Go get them, Paul. Don't quit on me now. And that's what he's saying to the church. We're in this time. The church can't quit on Jesus now. Not now. What amazes me is everybody saying, surely these are the last days. Yes, these are the last days. I can't wait to get out of here. It's like, what? These are the last days. This is it. People are going to hell forever. Let's reach them. Listen to verse 11. And he stayed a year and a half teaching the Word of God among them. 
Do you see what God did for him? God set him up in that city to where he could stay there a year and a half. Up until this time, that's the longest time he spent in any city because he had steady employment. He had a a couple that watched after him, cared for him, walked with him. And he didn't get beat up. And people were getting saved. He stayed a year and a half. That's awesome. Now, let's, let's move on. I, I want to show you something else that I, I think he did. If you'll look at verse 18 when he's ready to move on. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers. Well, let's, let's read what happens here. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galeo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, oh, Jews, I would have had reason to accept your complaint. But since this is a matter of the questions of the words and names of your law, you do this yourself. I'm not going to judge this. And he told them to get lost, get out of here. So they seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, beat him up in front of the tribunal, but Galileo paid no attention to any of this. So, I mean, now things are getting a little worked up. He was there a year and a half. Now there's a little bit of rioting. He doesn't get beat up, just like the Lord said. But now he's like, maybe this is the sign for me to move on. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of his brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him came Priscilla and Aquila. At uh, Centria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus. All right, now that's a weird verse. Isn't that kind of funny? So he's preaching in Corinth for a year and a half, and then there's another riot, but he doesn't get hurt or wrecked. He stays a little bit longer. So then he decides to go to Citeria, and as he's going, he gets a haircut. And then he goes to the... (laughs) It had a really nice cut on the side, probably number four, and then, then when they trimmed it, he combed it to the right. It's like, who cares? Got a haircut. What does this matter? What? Ah, what was the vow? So what's this about with a haircut and a vow? A Nazarite vow. There are three things with a Nazarite vow. So what I'm thinking happened is start putting this together. Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla. He's hanging out with them, working with them. They're taking care of him, and he's going on. He feels like quitting, and God tells him to keep preaching. There's many in that city. He stays another year and a half preaching and teaching. Many people get saved. Things get stirred up again. In that time, we come to the conclusion he took a vow. And as a Jew and a Jewish rabbi, the kind of vow he would have taken was a Nazarite vow. Okay, a Nazarite vow has nothing to do with Nazareth, the town of Nazareth. The town of Nazareth, Nazareth is is sprout. This in the Hebrew, a Nazar is a vow, and the vow that is a Nazarite vow uh, means you abstain from three things when you take this vow. 
Number one, you cannot have any of the fruit of the vine. Okay, so no wine, no grapes, no raisins, no juice, no, nothing from the wine. Secondly, you do not cut your hair from when you start your vow. In fact, some, it, there's different ways to look at it. Some people cut their hair at the beginning of the vow so they see how long it gets during the vow. But the key is you cut your hair at the end of your vow, okay? And then last of all, you're not to be around any dead bodies uh, because that makes you unclean. And so when you take this vow, you are setting yourself apart. And the word for this vow is a special vow, number six, one through eight. It says to take a special vow, which is pale, and it, the word in Hebrew means extraordinary. In Judges and in Psalms, it's interpreted amazing and wonder-working. So this is an extraordinary vow of a Nazarite. Nazarite means head covering, being set apart. So you are making a vow to cover yourself in sanctity or in holiness apart from everything else. And so you're abstaining from any kind of wine and cutting your hair and setting apart from anything dead. It's sanctifying yourself, becoming very serious in a fast about honoring God as holy. So that's where Paul was. Paul went from the depths of despair and depression to being invigorated, and I'm believing he made a vow. Now, a typical Nazarite vow is no less than 30 days. It can go 60, 90, three years. His vow must have been probably a 30-day, maybe a 60-day vow. I don't know. But at the end of that vow, what happened? Cut his hair. You cut your hair and you present that as a sacrifice to God. So you consecrated yourself. Has anybody here ever been desperate and needed, needed prayer from God? Has anybody ever fasted for something very specifically? Okay. That's, that's pretty much this kind of a vow. To fast, uh, to set yourself apart from everything else, to pursue God and say, oh God, I need you. So that's where we're at with Paul. Now what I find interesting is in the dynamic of this, God sends comforters to Paul when he needs them. Paul is getting rejuvenated and recommits himself to the ministry of the Lord and then God sends another worker. This guy's name is Apollos. Let's talk about him. So they go down to Ephesus. When they got there, he himself went into the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews. We know he did that every time on a Sabbath. They asked him to stay for a longer period. He said, no, nah, I can't do it. On taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. We know later Paul spent three years in Ephesus. 
What he had he landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and he went from one place to the next, to Galatia, Phrygia, and so forth. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, Yahweh, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished uh, to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Messiah was Jesus. God is raising up a new apostle, a new leader teacher. Okay, This almost parallels, it reminds me of Elijah's story. Elijah fights a huge battle with Jezebel, then he gets super depressed and he wants to die and he goes away, right? And God feeds him food and says, chill for a while. And God restores him, re-energizes him, sends him back, but brings his next generation, Elisha. And, and this kind of parallels that. Okay? So Apollos is being raised up. Now, let's talk about this. Apollos was an eloquent preacher. Was Paul an eloquent preacher? No. Paul was not an eloquent preacher. He refers to himself as being pretty much the least of a preacher. He, he comes more with power and might, not eloquence of speech. That's a direct reference to Apollos when he says that to the Corinthian church. Okay, so he, he's, if you ever heard a not-so-polished preacher? Could be me. Nah. <laughs> but I have, I've heard some people that are just, you know, but they're powerful. So this guy's an orator. He's schooled in the art of speaking. He can speak rings around everybody else. The guy's super eloquent, super knowledgeable, amiable, funny, captivates everybody. Paul's not that. So this guy comes along. He's very competent in the scriptures. What are the scriptures? Old Testament. All the prophecies from Genesis to Malachi. There is no New Testament. Right? He just left. <laughs> The New Testament just left from Ephesus and went to Achaia. That's Paul. All right, so he was very competent in the Scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. But we know he doesn't know about Jesus, so it's not the Lord Jesus. He was instructed in the way of Yahweh, Jehovah God. Okay, so he knows the Old Testament really well. He's fervent in spirit. He's exciting to listen to. He's a great speaker. And the Spirit of God moves, not in the same power and anointing as Paul, but he's a great speaker. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Oh, well, then he does know Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. 
All right, so somebody put this together for me. What does that mean? Okay, so he didn't hear about the resurrection. What did he hear? All the prophecies about the Messiah. Okay? Because they're all in the Old Testament. He could tell you that the Messiah is coming. He could quote chapter and verse and show you throughout all the Scripture, Messiah is coming. And he knew it was coming any time because he was schooled by John the Baptist. And what was John the Baptist's message? Okay, kingdom of God is near, repent and be baptized. So that's what he's preaching. He's going to the synagogues, he's saying, Jews, man, this is it, come on. John the Baptist, a voice in the wilderness, and he could show them throughout all scripture, Messiah is coming, he's going to be like this, going to be like that, going to be like this. Everybody's going, oh, this guy's great. Aquila and Priscilla hear him and go, he hasn't heard the whole thing yet. So they, they begin to instruct him. Wait a minute. Who are these, this couple that they should instruct this eloquent preacher? Who trained them? Oh. This seems like a setup to me. So God instructed Aquilus and Priscilla day in and day out, sitting at the feet of Rabbi Paul. At the College of Paul. I mean, wouldn't you want to be taught by Paul? They're being taught and instructed every day. They're going to the synagogues with him. They're going out in the marketplace. They're seeing this guy work. They're hearing him preach. He now leaves them in Ephesus and goes on. And they stay there. And now they begin to disciple Apollos. Apollos is already well equipped. He just didn't hear the rest of of the good news. Now that he's got it, this guy can unleash. So Aquila and Priscilla get super jealous. No, I just made that up. A lot of people do, though. But really, a good teacher wants their student to excel well past them. And so Aquila and Priscilla, armed with the knowledge that Paul had given them and that they were faithful to Paul, They instruct Apollos. And who does Apollos become? Well, someone quite influential. How do we know that? It says this. In 1 Corinthians 1.12, Paul says, I say this to each of you, to the church in Corinth. There's divisions in this church. Some of you say, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas or Paul. That's Peter. And others say, I follow Jesus. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? But the only reason I use that scripture is because who went to Corinth and had big influence in the church? Apollos. The verse said he went on and he preached and people got saved. Apollos became a powerful preacher. He became well-known in all the churches. It says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. uh, Paul says, I planted the church. Apollos watered it. And God gave the increase. 
Paul the Apostle was a planter, a church planter and founder. He was apostolic. He'd plant the seed. He'd make the declaration. He'd plant that church. Apollos, the teacher, preacher, would come in and water what Paul had laid the foundation to, and God gave it increase. We need all these different models. Sean. Discipleship 101. Paul taught Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla taught Apollos. Apollos goes and teaches the church. Who taught you? And who have you taught? And where do we go from there? This is Christianity. Again, we've got to stop thinking it's somebody else's job. It's our job. But I don't know enough, Pastor. All you got to do is be one week ahead of the person you're teaching. <laughs> That's it. I mean, consider Apollos, uh, consider Aquila and Priscilla. They didn't have, I'm sure they didn't have the abilities and the giftings that Apollos had. The knowledge of that Old Testament research. They probably didn't have. But what they did have, they gave to them. You have an experience in Jesus that nobody else does. Give it to somebody, please. And it'll fill in what they lack. There's a, there's a really famous story about uh, uh, a famous theologian that was retiring from a graduate theological seminary. He had, t he had taught there for 50 years written so many books, and at this final thing for dinner in honor of him, they said, uh, Dr. whatever, uh, would you please give us an encapsulated statement of probably the most profound truth that you've ever discovered in all of your 50 years of studying and teaching? And he said, I'd be, I'd be happy to. And they took the mic and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yeah. The profoundness of what we teach someone is not about intellect. It's about a changed heart. So, all of you, can see this pattern. Now, we showed you Discipleship 101, but let's also look at the grace of God and his love and gentleness for us. Paul is entering into a city where he's getting pretty fatigued and pretty down. And God sets him up in a situation where he can get restored, strengthened, fed, and get money and food and share the gospel with a couple who are later also going to be used and they're needing to grow. And they pour their lives into Paul and rescue his life by risking theirs, showing their love for him. And Paul decides to take them on with his missionary journeys and they grow together. And God promises Paul 
to continue. And Paul makes a vow to continue on in the Lord. And as he goes forward, that vow wasn't just for him. It turns out it was for Aquila and Priscilla who go forward in ministry as well and bring Apollos and bring him up to speed so that now he's released back to Corinth, the Corinthian church, back into Rome. He's ministering to all the churches Paul went to. And he's not tearing them down. He's building them up. And he brings the, the relief that Paul needed and prayed over and over, God, take this thorn out of my flesh. Those who keep trying to destroy my ministry, God, through Apollo and Aquilus, through Aquila and Priscilla, who Paul helped, taught Apollos, who comes and now waters all the work of Paul. All this works together. Because we need each other. Amen? Let's close tonight. Let's pray. I'd like to ask you guys. First of all, let's, let's spend a few minutes thanking Jesus for the people who poured into our lives. They may not have taught you any deep theology, but they might have been an Apollos, no, sorry, Aquila and Priscilla. They might have been someone who came alongside and just held you up. They were just there. So let's thank Jesus and recognize He put them in your life. He sustained you with the people He brought around you. So let's just spend a minute in thanking Jesus for that. Thank you, Lord, for the people you sent in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you show them to us right now? Flash a picture of those, God, who, who sustained us. Help us remember the people that were faithful and built us up when others were tearing us down. Lord, we're thankful for your provision of these people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've watched over us and you made provision. Thank you, Jesus.